Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. One of the movies that I enjoyed watching several years ago, I saw it several times. I can't really tell you why I, li- why I liked it, I just liked it. It was Dante's Peak. Perhaps you know of the, know of the, the movie. It was a movie about a, a town on... On the, in the valley of below a, a, a volcano called Dante's Peak. And it had been some seismic activity in the area, so they send a, a geologist, uh, a seismic geologist, whatever they're called, and they send them to this place to investigate it. And upon his investigation, he demerits, he says, it merits consideration that we should put the town on alert. So he puts the town on alert, of course, causing panic in the town. And then his boss comes to the town and says, ah, we may have been a little too hasty to give the warning. And so he says, everything's okay. We're going to monitor it. We're going to make sure everything's all right. Everything's going to be great. Of course, the, the hero or the, the expert, he had, had a suspicion that something's going to happen. And he tried and tried and tried to warn the people. And they did not heed his warning. And eventually, the volcano erupted. People were lost their lives. And it was too late to rescue the town. In much the same way, the people of Israel have been listening to God's warnings time after time after time, but they failed to heed the warning. And now Hosea comes to the time. He says, okay, the time has come. The time has come for this destruction to be upon you. For 40 years, he's been communicating the same message. And it's like it went on deaf ears. They did not get it. So finally, we come to the last part of this vicious uh, story. Uh, We entitled it God's Amazing Love, but we haven't really got to that part. We will next week, okay? But it's hidden throughout the passage of Scripture. Today, we're going to look at Hosea chapter 13. We're just going to look at the first four verses, because really, the first four verses are a summary of everything that's happened in Hosea up to this point. It's basically uh, recapturing or, or highlighting, here's what happened. Here's how it began, and this is where you're at today. So we're going to look at Hosea 13, 1 and 4, under the heading, The Vicious Cycle of Sin. So you follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I read these verses to us. When Ephraim spoke, men trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images all of them the work of craftsmen. Instead of these people, they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calf idols. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. But I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me." We're going to look at how sin progresses, and then we're going to kind of look at the answer to sin as we get to the end of the passage. First, we'll see how the cycle of sin begins. Look at verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, men trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. Here's what he's trying to say. Now, generally speaking, whenever Hosea talks about Ephraim, he's talking about the northern kingdom, because that was kind of synonymous. They were the most dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. But in this situation, he's speaking of the tribe Ephraim itself. He said there was a time when Ephraim, whenever Ephraim spoke, it prodded fear. It prodded trembling. 
he points out how important this tribe was. Remember in Genesis chapter 48 that Manasseh and Ephraim were the sons of Joseph who saved the people of Israel during their time of slavery in, uh, in, in Egypt, or during the time of the famine in Egypt. And Joseph came from, Joseph was the, was the father of these two. Joshua, the hero, uh, came from the tribe of Ephraim. And Jeroboam I, who was the first king of the northern tribe, came from the people of Ephraim. So what Hosea is saying, there was a time when leaders came out of Ephraim. There was a time when, when these individuals spoke and people listened to them. They were powerful. They were well respected, but not any longer. They don't have sway any longer. When did this happen? When did Ephraim go from the spokesman of the tribe to being an afterthought that nobody ever listened to? How did this happen? He says it all happened when they began to worship Baal. If you go back and examine the story in the Old Testament, Ephraim was the first one to turn to Baal worship. Why? To bring unity to the northern kingdom. Uh, they, 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 they began to bow down to the other gods so that it would bring harmony and peace in the northern kingdom. Now, history reveals, if you go back and look at the history of all mankind, you will see that, that the instability of human fortune. Well, uh, you know, countries rise and people rise and then they begin to fall. And that you could take it. Historians will talk about anything, any economic, any political, or any social, or any other reasons for the changes that turn giants of one era into the weaklings of the next era. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's all because of a shift in loyalty. They begin to make some changes and move away from something that worked to something that does not work. In Israel, it's because they strayed from God. They began to stray from God, and when they stray from God, they lost their anchorage, they lost their foundation, and as a result, they were going to be destroyed. Yeah, I can think of examples throughout the Bible that talk about it. We can think of examples throughout history. Look at Europe. In Europe, some of the greatest cathedrals ever built lie in Europe, and today they're museums because nobody attends. It's a testimony to what used to be, but somewhere along the way, they turned away from God and they began to pursue secular humanism. They began to, to pursue governmental policies and they turned from God and they turned to the world and now they're empty mausoleums. But we don't have to even go that. We can go right to the Bible. All we got to do is go to the first few pages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, especially chapter 3. When we see the minute... Adam and Eve made a decision to go against God, they started a cycle of sin. It began to deteriorate themselves and deteriorate the very environment in which they lived. All it took was a decision to move from God and move over here. It's the same way for everyone. At that point, when Adam made that decision, Adam died. He spiritually died. It was the same way for Ephraim. When Ephraim made a decision to turn away from God and turn to something else, they died. It's the same thing today. Once a person is out of tune with God's will, he begins on that path of destruction. The path that, the, the, the path that God had chosen was different than the path that they chose. They chose a direction of their own choosing. And once they make that decision to go their own way, do their own thing, guess what happened? A vicious cycle of sin begins. And it leads to problems. It leads to obstacles. It leads to difficulties. It leads to sin. And it's all traced to the beginning point. 
when they decided to turn from God and turn to something else. It's when they stepped out alone. It's an interest, I was reading several years ago, that psychiatrists and counselors have now begun to see the value of spiritual counseling. And what they have discovered is that 75% of problems that people experience can be traced to a spiritual problem. 75% of them can be traced to a spiritual problem. And so they're beginning to see well, we need to get back to some spiritual roots. We need to get back to that. Guess what? The Bible says the same thing. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Bible says when we begin to stray from God, we, we have all kinds of problems in our life. And I can even go one step further. I can, I can tell you that all the, all the economic, political, and social problems that happen in any country happens because they turn from God. They begin to pursue something other than God. When people choose to go their own way instead of God's way, they will find themselves in a vicious cycle of sin. So that's how it begins. You turn from God, you turn from God's will. And what we see next is the cycle of sin continues in the present. Look at verse 2, chapter, the first part of verse 2. Now they sin more and more. Now they sin more and more. What started out at the beginning, now it just leads to sinning more and more. Despite all the punishment they've already suffered, Israel continues to go their own way to do their own thing. It started out small, a little small, insignificant thing, but then it became a way of life. And the, the more they did it, the easier it got for them to do. You see, they believed that God would, that Baal would make them happy. So in their attempt to make him happy, they prepared images for use in their worship. Look at what it says in that second part of, of verse 2. Now they send more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned image. All of them the work of craftsmen. You see, it's bad enough to worship other people's idols. Now they're making idols for themselves. Now they're getting into business of building idols. And they took pride in them. You begin to look at it. You begin to understand the, 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 what's going on in the passage. They loved what they were doing. They took pride in it. This represented the best that man had to build. Their forefathers worshipped idols. Now they're making idols and they're doing it for profit. Not only worshiping, we're experiencing the joy of this. I remember reading one man. He said this. He said, I can see them saying, no need to import consumer goods. We now make everything ourselves. Look, none of your cheap and nasty idols whose hands fall off. Only the best. Feel the quality. Solid silver, mind you, made by experts. Oh, yes, we are a developed nation. This is what was going on. You see, they thought that they could seek salvation in their idols. And it would help them when actually it was leading them to sin more and more. They had moved from worshiping idols to making idols. You see what they've just done? In just a very short time, they broke two commandments. They broke the first commandment and they broke the second commandment. See, that's what sin does. Sin begins to lead you down the progression where it gets easier and easier and easier to break the commandments. Listen, folks, when you break the first commandment, it's very easy to break the other nine. There is no other God but God. And once you say, ah, oh, there might be, guess what? Then you need right to the second one. You have no other gods in my place. And you'll begin going right down the list. 
Once you begin to renounce God, then anything else becomes acceptable in the world. One sin leads to another. That's the way it is in our own life. Once you make that decision of sin, it becomes easier and easier and easier to continue in that cycle of sin. It describes human nature in general. When we are separated from our true help, our source of hope, we produce facsimiles to worship. We will put anything out there that we will worship. We, we chop down trees and we build houses and we have to have bigger ones. We shape metals and we manufacture cars and we have to have a nicer one. We mine minerals and we fashion jewelry that we can wear and we can, we can glamorize our wealth. We pick cotton and we make clothes and we got to have better clothes. And then we place all of our happiness in all these things we created. The cars, the homes, the jewelry, the clothes. And we place all of our happiness in those things. And what do we do? We put our happiness in those things rather than God our maker and our creator. This is what we begin to do in our own lives. And what do we happen? We begin working more. We begin working more for the things we want and serving God less. We begin honoring what we, the work, the fruit of our hands instead of the honoring the one who gave us those things. We become just like Israel. But it gets worse. Look at chapter verse 2, verse the last part. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calf idols. I think this helps us understand that very first part when it says now they sin more and more because now they've really gone and not just doing stuff in the abstract, now it's coming down the concrete. It's just not an abstract philosophy, now it's affecting real life people. And what more extension of idol worship could there be than the adoption of human sacrifice? Their values had become corrupted. The, the people had become blinded. Uh, the, the, they began worshiping these idols, and, and these idols are honored while human life is destroyed. What kind of idol is it? Well, what do they begin doing? It says, idols in the form of animals. They're shaping Idols in the form of animals. Boy, this is, fits right in tone with the present situation we live for. Did you know that we have more laws to protect animals than we do unborn children? We will go out of our way to protect a spotted owl in 400 acres of woodland than we will an unborn baby. And it'll be a federal crime to do it. But yet... The federal government says it's okay to sacrifice your unborn child. Why do we do that? For the sake of choice. It's for the sake of choice. Because that child will hinder my lifestyle. That child will, 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 will change what I have to do. It will hinder my ability to achieve the American dream. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. We now worship the creation instead of worshiping the creator. It's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. These people are guilty because they worship the creation and not the creator of it all. Ephraim once followed God. They once sought him. 
but they began to sink further and further into sin until they lost all resemblance of what they were. They had become self-centered and self-serving. I once read a, a story about how an individual, that illustrates this. An individual learned how to capture raccoons. And so what he did is he took the old milk bottles that they used to have that had the, the, the big opening in it, and he placed an egg inside the milk bottle. And then he'd take those milk bottles and he would lay them out in places where raccoons would visit. The raccoon, because they're a naturally curious animal, he would look at the milk bottle, he would see the egg in the milk bottle, and he'd reach his little paw down in the, in the milk bottle and grab the egg. But when he tried to pull his hand out, he could not get it because his little paw was too big for the milk carton. And so and he would never let go because he wanted that egg. And so the next day, the, the raccoon hunter would come out and just round up the raccoons, still had the milk bottle attached to their hand because they would not let go of the egg. That's the way sin is in, my, in our own life, my friends. That's a picture of man. We are enticed and we are allured by the trappings of this world. And we grab it. And what we discover is instead of us having it, it has us. And we are trapped and we cannot let go. I read somebody that said this. He said, we spend money, we spend money we do not have to buy things we do not really need to impress people we do not really like. It's the egg in the bottle. We just cannot get enough. And what we discover is we are entrapped. And all we have to do is just let go. Let go and just trust God. That's all we have to do. God kept telling Israel to let go and trust me, Israel. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe. I'll love you. And you will be honored. You will be blessed. But they could not break the cycle of sin. And guess what? We are just like them. We will not let go. And all we have to do is let go and have complete trust in God. Complete trust in God. But you see, that sin just continues in the present. Guess what? The cycle of sin affects the future. It affects the future. Notice what he says in verse 3, therefore. That's a popular word as we go through the book of Hosea. He says, therefore, announces the verdict. God says, because you've done all these things, because you, you chose to sin, because you live a lifestyle of sin, therefore, this is what's going to happen. And what we see taking place is we see the verdict that God establishes, and he gives four figures of speech that are used to talk about the coming ruin upon the nation of Israel. It's a sense of urgency. He's basically saying Israel has no future. They are dead in their sin now. They will be gone tomorrow. He gives the first two symbols he uses is that of, the, of, of early dew and, and the, uh, the mist. Look at verse 3. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. The, this is something that was good, but it only lasted temporarily. It began with promise, but in the end, it fades away. He said that's the way Israel was. At first, Israel started with a lot of promise, but it's like the morning dew. It's like the mist. There one moment, 
and go on the next. But the next ones get even more dramatic. He uses two more symbols. He uses the chaff swirling from the threshing floor like smoke escaped through a window. He talks about these are things that were worthless from the start. He talks about the chaff. If you know anything about, about archaeology and biblical studies, you know anything about that, that what they do is the chaff was the waste that you didn't want. It was harvested with the grain. It would be left in the floor, in the threshing floor. They throw everything up in the air. The chaff would be blown away by the wind, and the grain would fall to the ground. What a depiction of the judgment to come. What a depiction of what was going to happen to, to Israel. God says, I'm about to sift you. I'm about to throw you in the air, and you'll be washed away. You'll be blown away. Blown away. And then the smoke represents Israel's wealth. Israel put all, all their prosperity. They put all their hopes and all their dreams in their wealth, in their, in their prosperity that they were getting. And, and God saying that, that, that your wealth is unsolid and it's greatly inflated. It swelled. It, it ascended and it vanishes in the air. It's not really there. No longer there. These analogies, these illustrations, picture they show Israel's guilt, it shows their lack of power, and it shows the coming judgment that is upon the nation of Israel. And God says, you're not going to escape it. You're not going to escape the judgment that is coming. You see, the cycle of sin affected their future. It's the same for you and I. Our sins past, our sins present will affect our future. We cannot cakewalk through this thing we call life and think that we're going to go unscathed and unpunished because of the sins and because of the choices we make. The choices we make have ramifications for our future. And if we do not get rid of our sin, if we do not escape from the cycle of sin, guess what? There is no hope for us. None whatsoever. So we must decide. Do we want to get rid of this vicious cycle of sin that we're in or do we just want to go our own way? So the question we have to ask, how do we do it? How do we get rid of this cycle of sin that is so prevalent in our lives? Well, God's solution. God has a solution to the cycle of sin, and I'm so grateful that he offers us a solution. Look at verse 4. But, <laughs> he says, but I am the Lord your God. That's a, that but trains, changes everything. It's a transitional statement. God says they, they deserve judgment, they deserve punishment, but I am the Lord, the God. That but God splits the darkness of judgment, the judgment that has come upon them, but in the midst of the judgment, but God. It's similar to what happens in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. Listen to, his, listen to the words of chapter 2, 1 through 5 of Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, we were dead in our sins, transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, verse 4. But, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That but 
rips open the darkness and exposes the light of Christ. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our transgressions. But God steps in and says, I'm going to change it all. And what did he do? Whatever he did, it split B.C. into A.D. It changed everything. In Hosea, we see Israel trapped with no hope for the future. They're stuck in a vicious cycle of sin. But God steps on the scene. In spite of everything they've done. In spite of every punishment they deserve. God says, but I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. God provides the answer. God provides the answer to the vicious cycle of sin. He provides the answer to the people of Israel. He provides the answer to us. He says, your hope is not found in anything we can do. It's not found in our wealth. It's not found in our prestige. It's not found in our position. It's not found in our power. It's not found in our honor. It's not found in any human accomplishment. It's found in God and God alone. And He does it through Jesus Christ. So what's next? What happens next? What else? Look at verse 14 of Hosea chapter 13. God speaking says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. They're dead, but I'm going to ransom them. I'm going to buy them back. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? Paul talks about this verse and he uses it about Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus defeated the vicious cycle of sin. And because of Jesus, sin no longer has dominion. Sin no longer has control over your life when you surrender to Jesus. In Jesus, we win the victory. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? We do not become the righteous of God in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power. We become the righteous of God, what? In Him, in Jesus. And God takes the righteousness of Jesus and He puts it upon sinful individuals like you and me. He says, now you are righteous because Jesus Christ has paid the price. Because of what Jesus did, he breaks the cycle of sin in your life and in my life. Because of what Jesus did, he conquered the vicious cycle of sin. But there's one more obstacle. There's one more thing that has to be overcome. Death. Death has to be overcome. Because one of the consequences of sin is death. Separation from a holy God. So something has to be conquered. Something has to be done. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57, quoting it right out of Hosea. Can you believe that? Actually quoting the Old Testament and the New Testament. Can you believe that? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we don't achieve the victory in our own power. We don't achieve the victory in our own strength. We achieve the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He conquered sin on the cross, and He conquered death at His resurrection. 
And they have no power. They have no authority. They have no sway over you when you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life. Because of what Jesus did, we now have freedom from sin. Now listen, you're still going to be tempted. You're still going to stray away. You're still going to make mistakes. But if you'll run to God and you run to Him, you'll find forgiveness and you'll find grace because the Bible says that His grace covers a multitude of sins. Don't let that run away and think, well, there must be enough sins that I could do that His grace couldn't cover. It's, no, it's hyperbole. God's grace covers all of our sins. And what I always tell you here at Western Heights, remember, all your sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross of Calvary. If you say, well, he died for my sins in the past, all your sins were in the past or in the future. Every one of them. And he only died for those I commit now. No, he died for all the sins you'll commit in the future. All your sins. Because God looked forward in his infinite grace that we can't begin to fathom in his infinite way. He said, I'm going to die for every sin that Bruce Worley ever commits when he receives me as Lord of his life. Now, that doesn't give me permission to sin. But because of his grace, it gives me freedom to live the way that God wants me to live in gratitude and thanksgiving to him who purchased my life. Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be set free from the cycle of sin that dominates your life? You've got to come to Jesus. You've got to come to Jesus. Learn from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Learn from the people of Israel who continually pursued things other than God. Don't be like them. Pursue a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So if you want to break the cycle of sin in your life, if you're a non-believer, if you've never gotten to a point where you've acknowledged Jesus as the payment for your sins, man, today is your lucky day. Woo, this is it. This is the day the Lord has appointed for you to be saved. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forth and say, Pastor, I I'm, I'm repenting of my sins. I am turning to Jesus, and I want to find life to the fullest in Christ Jesus. We'll tell you how to do that. For others of you, probably the majority of us, can, can I just be honest? We're saved. We know Jesus Christ, Lord, to save our life. We know that he died on sin. We know all the Sunday school answers, but you're still trapped in sin. You still have found out that you love your sin more than you do God. You know how I know? Now, I'll say it anyway. I was going to say it, so I'm going to say it anyway. It's because only 20% of us give any money to the church. Oh, there he is, talking about tithing. I ain't talking about it. I'm telling you where your heart is. That's what the Bible says. You cannot serve God in money. It's one of the easiest ways, the easiest ways that you can find out, really, really determine your relationship with God. First is your attendance in church, you're willing to give to Him, and your service in the church. Those are the three easiest things to do. Easiest things to do. That's why we encourage attendance. That's why we encourage giving. That's why we encourage service. Because those are the three easiest things to do. You know, prayer comes in there. That's naturally. But I'm talking about, it's something you say, I don't know if you're praying at your house. I don't know if you're getting up in the morning and praying. I know one person in here does. You know, I don't know if you're praying at night. 
But I can see when you're here. I can see when the offering's overflowing. I can see when you're serving. And it's my job as your pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Work of the ministry. So for some of you, you're a follower of Jesus, you love Jesus, you love His church. But can you just be honest with yourself and say, yeah, but there's a lot of sin I love too. Oh, God's word to you today, turn from your sin and turn to Him. Renounce what the world says and accept what God says. For others of you, you need a church home. Yeah, you just need a church home. You know, I know a lot of people real, real big nowadays on, uh, well, we don't have to be a member of church. That goes against God's word. It goes against what? Every time Paul wrote a letter, he said, to the church that meets at this location. He never, to the church universal that doesn't meet anywhere or do anything. He says, he says, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae, to the pastors of those churches. The acts is, is the acts of God working through the people in specific locations, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Even in Revelation, the, end, the last book, he says, to the church, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Thessalonica, to the church of, of, of Smyrna, to the church of Laodicea, to the church of Thyatira, to churches, not to abstract individuals who have nothing in common with one another. I'm writing a local church. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not a part of a church, guess what? You're already in disobedience. Boy, I just tell you the way it is, folks. You're already in disobedience. Because how can you submit to the authorities that are over you if you're not under any of them? You're already in disobedience to God's Word. Hebrews, two times in Hebrews. It's also in the, in the book of Titus, in the book of Th Timothy. Submit to the elders that are over you. So that what? It may go well with you. It may go well with you. But I've meddled in your life today, haven't I? No. I'll just tell you what it is. God's Word says, you can continue to live in a vicious cycle of sin or you can come to God and be let free, set free. It's up to you. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't force you to do it. Matter of fact, the Bible says He stands at the door and knocks. He's a gentleman. He will not burst in. He will not come in. He says, I'm asking permission to come in and fellowship with you. It's up to you. God allows you to make the decision. It's his decision. It's his plan. But you get to make the decision. In a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. Give you a chance to respond to what you heard. I'm going to have Kip's going to come and lead us. Marilyn Cassie going to come and play. I'll pray a very short prayer. We ask you to come forward. If you want to receive Jesus, the Lord of your life, you want to recommit your life to him, you want to be part of this church, we'll be here at the front. Josh is going to come up and stand with me. And we'll be here to talk with you and counsel with you. Whatever decision God would have you to make. Would you stand to your feet? as I lead us in a time of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come before you this morning because you are a good, good Father. You are gracious to us. God, you told us in your word that you'd never leave us as orphans, that you'd always come to us, you'd always encourage us, you'd always build us up, you'd always love us, and Father, you would point us in the right direction we ought to go and lead us, Father, in the paths that we ought to take. Lord, do our Lord, like all children, Father, sometimes we rebel and we turn against you, just like the children of Israel. 
We make decisions, Father, that lead us further and further away from you. God, today we want to come home. Today, Father, we want to fall into your presence once again and feel your, your wonderful words of encouragement to us. Welcome home, my child. Welcome home. Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Each one is here, Father. Communicate to us exactly what we need to hear to bring us home to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.